tonight, we're going to be looking at what I suggest to you is a third image of Christ and one that is so very meaningful to us as followers of Jesus. And it, it opens a window, I think, into the heart of God and really ties together the cross and the empty tomb and our life in him. Now, we had planned after Easter to go back into our Roman series, but we made a decision uh, over the course of the last week or so to continue the story of Jesus in the Gospel of John. For about three Thursdays, we'll be doing that. And then in May, we have a series after our music and prayer night, the first Thursday of May. We're going into a series I'm very excited about, Women of Influence. And we have three women that will be speaking over those three weeks. And uh, you'll learn more about that. But that's coming up in May. But tonight, we want to pick up the story where we left it. Basically, we left Jesus in the garden, outside the tomb, of course, and in a conversation with Mary Magdalene. Now, what happens later in John chapter 20 is that Jesus appears suddenly in the middle of a place where the disciples have gathered. They are locked in. They are fearful of the the Jewish leaders that could come and could arrest them. uh, And the same people that crucified Christ, they're fearful of the impact that they could have if they were found. And uh, so Jesus comes to that place and uh, the door is locked. And then suddenly he just shows up inside the room. So obviously if Jesus can rise from the dead, he can just appear anywhere. And this is what he did. And he greets them with this greeting of peace, which is very customary. Uh, Christ, after the resurrection, as he is greeting people, he leads with the word peace. And he is the Prince of Peace. He has overcome the turmoil, the travail, all that would be unsettling. He is coming and bringing peace. And as he does that, he also encourages the disciples then to talk about what they've seen, not to keep it quiet, but to share that Jesus is alive. And then he gives them the promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And as he says this, uh, it really links with what we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus, before he ascends to the Father, he says this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So the whole idea is that the Holy Spirit will be coming, the third person in the Trinity will come and will empower followers of Christ, fuel them to be effective witnesses of the risen Lord and the hope found therein with the good news of the gospel message. And so he captures this very succinctly with the disciples. And then as John chapter 20 ends, there's this uh, encounter between Thomas and Jesus. Now, as far as we know, all of the disciples have believed that Jesus is alive with the exception of Thomas. 
And unfortunately for uh, this dear brother, he gets labeled Doubting Thomas. He's a good man. He's a disciple, but he's a little slow in coming to the realization that Jesus is alive. This, this one in front of him is Jesus. But after just a little bit of conversation, then Thomas has the full revelation that this is Jesus. He is alive. And as he has this, uh, this wonderful moment of recognition, then Jesus makes a very powerful statement. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. He's talking about you have the privilege of seeing me in the, in the flesh, and yet blessed are those that will not have this real me in front of them and how much more so even blessed they will be for their faith because they will have to exhibit even more faith in their belief of Jesus being alive. That brings us to John 21 where we will be this evening. I'd like to read from John chapter 21 starting at verse chapter 1. The word of the Lord. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's also known to us as the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although they were, there were many, although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. So the disciples, they decide 
to go night fishing. But what we could focus on tonight are several different aspects of what must have been going through the minds of the disciples. Let's go back to that evening. They have not yet encountered Jesus and makes you wonder what could they have been talking about. They had seen Jesus alive, but Jesus was not with them at that point. Wonder what their conversation would have been like. They could have been talking about the future. They could have been reminiscing about the past. They could have gone down several trails of conversation. It would be uh, fun to have heard that conversation. Second, Peter. Wonder what his state of mind was at the time. Now remember, he had denied knowing Jesus three times. He's nowhere to be seen at the crucifixion. He does have an encounter with Jesus on that first Easter day. But they haven't had the conversation yet. There hasn't been the reconciliation. Peter could be wondering if he's on the outs. like Maybe like big time on the outs. Not just not being a disciple, but maybe Jesus is going to take him out. I mean, he denied even knowing Jesus. He, his mind had to be racing about how does this impact me? Will I even be a part of this, this band of brothers, so to speak, that will be charged with carrying the gospel around the world? And then there's John, John the Beloved, who was charged with taking care of Jesus' mother at the cross. But now Jesus is alive. Has he been relinquished of, uh, re, re, you know, of his responsibilities? Has he been, uh, you know, is he free? He's out there now on the shore. He's not with Mary. It makes you wonder um, if he thought maybe he was relieved of his responsibility now that Jesus is alive. Speaking of Peter and John, their relationship is uh, one that is a very interesting study. There's quite a, perhaps a friendly rivalry between the two of them, maybe even a little competition between the two. We know that Jesus called John, John the Beloved. This is the same John that is writing this gospel. He even refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, if anyone wanted that position, to be the closest one to Jesus, it would have been Peter. Remember, Peter's the one that, uh, that cut the ear off of the, uh, the soldier when Jesus was arrested. He, at that point, was a fierce defender of Jesus. Also look at the, uh, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, and it's John who is at the right hand of Jesus. It's, it's John who is closest to Jesus. And then the, the crucifixion, John is right there, as I mentioned, with, with Mary, Mother Jesus, and Peter is in hiding. And then on that Easter morning, it's Peter and John that are walking together when Mary comes and tells them that Jesus is alive, he's not in the tomb, and they set out on a foot race. And lo and behold, who wins the foot race? Who's the first one there? It's John. It's not Peter. He's, he's a runner-up again. And so here we have these, these two characters that seem to be going back and forth, back and forth, but it's always, it seems like, John 
has the upper hand, but they're central figures in this story tonight, this fishing story. So they fish all night, they have no success. They're, this is their second unsuccessful fishing expedition in the Gospels. The first is recorded in Luke chapter 4. And they go out fishing, they catch no fish. Jesus is there. Jesus says, go a little bit deeper. They do that, and then they haul in a bunch of fish. And this is the time that Jesus commissions them and says, you will become, you will be fishers of people. You're going to go and you're going to fish and share the good news with people. And so here is this second fishing, sort of much the same. They have no luck. And uh, they don't recognize a man who's appeared on the shore. And he quizzes them. He says, have you caught any fish? And they're honest. They say, no, we haven't. And he, of course, gives that suggestion or says, why don't you try going to the right side of the boat, which they do. And they catch a lot of fish. And John writes the exact number. They counted them, 153. Now, that might seem like an arbitrary number, 153, but there could be more significance to it. In fact, Aristotle, uh, he said, he wrote that uh, in his time, the thinking was at that time that there were 153 species of fish. And so there's a metaphor, perhaps, that the kingdom of God is for every species. It's for every nation. It's for every person, no matter what ethnicity, no matter where they are in the world, that the kingdom of God opens up for everyone. I think that's a pretty neat metaphor of that number 153. So that's the number that they have. Also, we see uh, the truth that anything that's eternally significant, success in God's eyes involves Jesus being in the center of it. Now, we see this in John chapter 15, when Jesus says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, these disciples are learning that to have success, we need Jesus in the middle of this. We need Jesus to be guiding us, to be, uh, to be steering us. And so yet another reminder that if anything eternally significant happens, it's because Jesus is in the center of it. Because apart from Jesus, nothing that lasts uh, can take place through us. And so, who recognizes Jesus? It's not Peter, poor guy. It's John. It is the Lord. So Peter's had enough. I, I just, I, I think he's like, I'm not going to be second this time. And so he puts on what they call outer garment, is what John called it. And it was, it's well known that in those days, the, the men that were out fishing would basically be fishing in their skivvies. They're not, they're pretty much stripped down to maybe a loincloth. I'll just leave that there. But they, um, they don't have much in the way of clothes on. And so certainly wouldn't be appropriate to approach Jesus like that. So he puts on an outer garment. And then the Greek says that he threw himself 
into the water, <laughs> threw himself into the water, and then he flails his way about 100 yards length of a football field to the shore where he sees Jesus. That's the story. But the image that we're getting to tonight, we talked about the image of the cross. We talked about the image of the empty tomb and Jesus outside the tomb in the garden. Great images, deeply significant images. This third image, though, which is our, where we're landing tonight, and the big idea is this, the image of a campfire. Here is Jesus. He's just conquered sin and shame and death, the grave, and he's making breakfast for his disciples. He makes a fire. I don't know if he just willed the fire into being or if he physically did. Jesus can do anything. I know we, well, I've tried to build a campfire many times, and it, sometimes it's a struggle. If you don't have just the right things, Jesus, there's a fire going, coals. He's got some fish on it. He's warming bread. He asked them to bring a little bit more fish so everybody would have enough to eat. But he's hosting a fish fry. This, this one, that uh, magnificent Lord, the conquering king decides the most important thing is friendship, having a conversation, drawing near to those that he's keen on building relationship with. Now, Jesus could have been about doing different things. He could have been on a, what I would call a revenge tour. He could have sought out the high priest and the religious leaders that were behind the crucifixion. And he could have taken them out. He could have sought out the Roman soldiers and annihilated them. He could have just shown up in Rome and taken out Caesar. He could have hunted down Peter and confronted him and made him feel so small and even worse. He could have done all these things. He's God, which is why it's so fascinating and stirs my heart in affection that he chose to hang out with his disciples, to break bread with them, to have conversation with them, and to affirm his relationship and friendship with them. You see, friends, there's a link between Calvary and this campfire. John 15, 13, and 14, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. What does Christ command? To love one another. There's no doubt the importance of the cross. There's no doubt the, the importance of the tomb. But 
those were really a means to the end. The end is reconciliation between God and humanity to be able to come into friendship and relationship. Jesus on the cross made a way for us to move past our iniquities, our sin. He bore our sin. Why? So we could be reconciled with the Father. Jesus did this so we could be restored in friendship with God. For all who open their lives up to not just go through the ritual of religion that is so empty, but to have a personal relationship, to have breakfast with God. That's what the cross was about. That's what Easter was about. You know, I love the chains, the jewelry with the cross. Very meaningful. It's a, it's a witness of our faith in Jesus Christ. But I would love to have a chain that has some semblance of a campfire. I have never seen one. But to me, that would represent the work of the cross so that I could have this intimate relationship with Christ. Too often we leave Jesus on the cross. There are those that, that leave him there. Maybe they, they worship every now and then, and it's always going to the suffering of Christ. And there are some that leave Jesus at the empty tomb. There are some that have this image of Christ at the right hand of the Father, where he is, according to the word of God. He is interceding. He is praying for us. He's interceding day and night for Erica and Sadie and Max and all of us in our struggles. But just to have him at the right hand of the Father alone seems very distant to me. Even though the function means everything, him praying for us. So for me, I totally embrace this Christ of the campfire, this Christ who is making breakfast and having conversation and say, how are you doing? Let me tell you what I've been up to. And just having this camaraderie in relationship, intimacy. In closing, in closing, I would just ask this, how do you see Jesus? How do you picture Jesus? What is the image of Jesus that you have? Is your Jesus still on the cross? Is your Jesus the Jesus of Easter? Or is your Jesus one that you picture sitting across the table and sharing tea or a cup of coffee and having a conversation with? I hope it's the latter, because that's where relationship is built, where it's forged. From Calvary to a campfire, that's our Savior, that's our Lord, that's our conquering King, that's our friend, that's our Jesus.
we pray together. Jesus, thank you for this story that is so appealing to us. For Lord, there is this inner cry of our heart to have relationship with the higher being, that we would have intimacy and relationship with the one that loves us so beautifully. And so, Lord, I pray that everyone here tonight, everyone listening to this podcast, would, Lord, be taken with your initiative to reach out to us and would also, we've got to accept that invitation that I believe you are sending out tonight to draw near to you, to worship at your footstool, to be very present with the living God. You are not a distant God. You reign, Lord, in the heavens and the earth, but you are very much here. And so we thank you for that. And we pray in Jesus' name that every heart would be open and not just open, but to draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.